Welcome to the Fantasy Ace Ball Podcast. This is your host, Tim Kanak. You can find me on Twitter at Fantasy Ace Ball, and you can find my written work over on Friends with Fantasy Benefits. An article come out there last week. I'm going to have a couple coming out this week, so check them out. And we got today with us our co-host, Raymond Atherton, who can be found on Twitter at Raymond Atherton. And we've had a lot of news go down just like the last, I don't know, 12 hours or less. So obviously the biggest news, I think, is Carlos Correa to the Twins. Raymond, WTF, bro. What's going on here? Dude, I don't know. There's so much to gut into here. Like, like if Scott Boris wasn't the best agent of all time before this, like, he definitely is not. Like, I think he's a tool, but, like, he got not one, not two, but three 10-year, $300 million deals for Correa, essentially. I know the, the last one was came in a little under 300 but, yeah, I mean... What the hell? Yeah, that's with vesting. Is the deal is yeah, really interesting. The, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the deal's the deal's really interesting. So he signed six years, two hundred million with the twins, and there's a vesting option that would make the deal ten years two hundred and seventy million. And so the vest in that, I'm not really sure what the, do, do you understand what the vest and it's also full no trade clause. Uh, so yeah, that he doesn't so, have to deal with any more physicals ever again. So <laughs> I saw, I, I saw on Twitter. Yeah, that's that's. I think I tweeted that. Um, I saw on Twitter that uh, the the option vest if he gets like 550 plate appearances in that six year, if he wins uh, Silver Slugger, or if he finishes top five in MVP voting in that last year of the guaranteed contract. Mm, so he could be he- injured the whole contract. <laughs> well, if that happens, they wouldn't be playing him, so he's not going to hit the 550. But uh, interesting. And then the Mets were apparently, according to John Heyman, they were willing to give him six years at 157 million, which is much less than the 200 million he got. Uh, so it makes sense going back to the Twins, a place he was just at, so he's familiar with it, and making more money. Like the reason for him to go to New York would be for more money. But if the Twins are going to pay him more and he's going to go somewhere familiar, it's not like the Twins are bad, you know? Like, the Twins are actually a pretty solid ball club. And despite not having, like, superstars, I guess Correa is their superstar locked in now. Uh, they have a nice little core on that team. So, yeah, uh, my, where, do, where, does this my, put the twin, where does this put the Twins and where does this put the Mets? What do you think, Raymond? Well, I... The Twins are going to slightly above average themselves on the way to contending for uh, the AL Central. It's probably a two-team race between them and the Guardians, depending on what happens with the White Sox and their step forward without Tony LaRusso. But, yeah, I think they're clearly the two best teams in the in the Central. But I, I don't think I don't think they're first, you know, the, the teams you talk about can – definitely win a world series with the Dodgers or the Braves or the Phillies or the Mets. Like, I don't think they're that good, but well, they put themselves in a position to compete where yeah, you never know what could happen to the trade deadline. For all we know, the twins could trade for Shohei Otani and (laughs) you know, so 
Who knows? But they also, I mean, they've got a good mix of like young players coming up and Carlos Correa, like real veterans, Max Kepler, Jose, Mer- like Joey Gallo. If he even comes back and is something close to what he has been in his career, like they have an interesting team. Yeah, I kind of like the rotation. I mean, they don't have an ace, but they have like five number threes, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. If it's and Sonny I think Gray. everyone likes Joe Ryan. Yeah, yeah, I like Ryan. They've got Sonny Gray, Joe Ryan, Tyler Molly, Kenta Maeda, and Bailey Ober. All those guys are like number two to number four types. So they don't have any bad starter. Who Oh, you got a Joe Ryan card. Nice. <laughs> We're my, buddy sent me base- <laughs> my buddy sent me baseball cards for a Christmas present. Nice. And that was the best one in there. It was a shiny Joe Ryan card. That's pretty solid. I like some Joe Ryan. So, uh, anyway, what does this mean for the Mets now? Because I think the Mets lineup looks significantly worse without Correa plunked into the middle of it, in my opinion. Yeah, like, I, I mean, I don't think we can adequately answer that question until until Cohen figures out what he's going to age do. But um, that, that was the big reason I liked Correa to the – Mets is because all his counting stats were going to go up. We saw what he did for a full season in Minnesota last year, and what he had sixty-four RBIs and scored seventy runs. Like, man, that is bad counting stats. So hopefully he takes a step forward in Minnesota again this year. But well, he still didn't have a full yeah. season. And funny enough, talking about the vesting option for Correa, guess how many seasons he's had over five hundred fifty played appearances since his rookie season in twenty fifteen. Two. Yep, two. And one of them was at 555. So, like, just barely over. Um, yeah, last year he still he, he didn't he still missed 30 games almost. And he, he had a wow. pretty – I feel like he still had a decent year. Uh, I don't know. The, one of the differences is that the Mets have Pete Alonso. If Correa was hitting second for the Mets, which I think he would have more been hitting more like fourth or fifth for the Mets. But if he's hitting second for the Mets in front of Pete Alonso, that's going to do a lot for his stats. But now he's hitting six for the Twins, and he's got Byron Buxton behind him. So what happens when Byron Buxton inevitably gets hurt next year? Uh, there's not much power in the lineup besides, but behind him but besides Gallo, and he's all or nothing, right? So they almost – like if they could pick up a – Super like a number three, number four type hitter, like a power hitter, that would be ideal for this team. Otherwise, besides that, it's a solid team. Uh, next on the news bucket list, if my computer will load, is you know what? I'm gonna skip, we're gonna skip down because this is big news, and I didn't realize how big it was when I first made the rundown. But Trevor Story just had surgery, and basically, it's like a quick dumbed down version of Tommy John surgery as a fielder to get him back on the field sooner. And he's supposed to miss four to six months. And Pine Bloom is saying he's not sure if he'll even play in 2023. So where are you at on story now? And where are you at on the Red Sox? I mean, the Red Sox team just keeps getting worse. Like we just talked last podcast about the thing holding Rafael Devers back is the rest of that lineup. 
and their second best hitter on that in that lineup just is now out for the year. Like that's that's scary. That's really scary. Raymond, I have and a I mean, conspiracy and, theory about this. And we talked about yeah. this before the pod, but I have a conspiracy theory that the Red Sox knew about the Trevor surgery story surgery and they waited to announce it and waited for a story to get the surgery until after Devers was signed because they didn't want to scare Devers away. How do you feel about that? I mean, it makes a ton of sense. Like, there's literally no reason. Unless, I don't know, who else? Somebody else just did this. There's no reason he shouldn't have got this when the season ended. Unless he didn't think it was that big of a problem. But, yeah, I mean, if if they knew and they waited, they just didn't want to alienate their fan base or hold Rafael Devers hostage, like, maybe he wouldn't have signed. Which is kind of yeah. short-sighted, <laughs> but... He might not have. It's like, well, not really. They're playing the long game by doing that. If if that if that conspiracy theory is true, I meant and they, I meant for Devers, it's short sighted. Like if that would have changed his mind, it may have though. He might have he he might have said, "Well, screw it, I want to compete." You know, now he's going to be in the middle of a pretty crappy team this year, and I think this is going to fuel some more Chris Sale rumors we were talking about before the podcast. I think. Sale could possibly be on the move. They didn't bring Evaldi back. They're trying some weird kind of different things on this team um, with some of the moves they're making. It's it's pretty interesting to watch. It's like try, it's watching a rebuilding team that's still spending a decent amount of money, and I don't really get it. And they're just like trying to bank down on Billy Bean OBP guys like Yoshida and Verdugo, but then where's without Devers? I mean, they've got Devers, but then what about the rest of the middle of the lineup? I mean, Casas could be good, could be good, and then the rotation—it's like a lot of a lot of question marks in that rotation. Um, but then they spend a ton of money in the bullpen, so it's like what? <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. I don't really get it, Raymond. Try to explain it to me. I did, dude. I don't know who plays <laughs> who plays short for the Red Sox now. Um, Jeter Downs, I guess. Like, who else do they have? They cut him. Oh, they, they cut, cut Jeter Downs. Okay, they so who him. do they even have now? Remember, K- they, Kike, Kike, they Kike plays, still play shortstop. <laughs> yeah, probably. That's probably what they'll do. Yeah, Kike, Kike. Uh, I don't know. It opens up a spot for Emmanuel Valdez, I guess, at second, right? Because who's going to play second? Christian Arroyo. They move Christian yeah. Arroyo to shortstop. And then they can have Emmanuel Valdez play but, second. They've got Casas at first. So. Uh, Devers unless they're going to sign. Or DH. I mean, they could always sign Jose Iglesias, I guess. <laughs> like Dude, some team has yeah. to. <laughs> Dude, he ends up, he starts the year in AAA and then he ends up getting 500 plate appearances for someone every year. And it's just so weird. He's but, pretty um, good defensively still. But no, so apparently, like the I was reading that people knew about this thing with Trevor Story when he was a free agent, which is why a lot of teams weren't ready to sign him to play shortstop for six or eight years or however long they were going to have to sign him. Yeah, well, um, his arm was like weakening. Every, 
Yep. Everyone knew he was going to second base anyways, and this is just awful. But you know, I've got a couple trade do? ideas here. Um, Miguel Rojas with the Marlins. So maybe there's some trade, because apparently there was already rumors that we talked about for Casas, right? So what if the Marlins traded Miguel yeah. Rojas, because now, now that they don't need him because they signed uh, Segura, what if they sign, what if they trade Rojas and a pitcher back for Casas? There's a trade idea. That could work. Uh, trade Dude, idea yeah, number and... two. Trade, trade idea number two would be, be maybe like uh, Paul DeYoung from the Cardinals with a couple pitching prospects, maybe like Dakota Hudson and a pitching prospect back for Chris Sale. And then the Cardinals have to eat that sale contract, which is like classic Cardinals trade to just get some vet with a big contract and trade nothing for him really <laughs> just to get the contract off the books. Um, so there's a couple ideas out there. The heck was I going to say? Why did the Marlins sign another starting pitcher? Because they're going to trade more. They're going to trade them. Yeah, they may. Uh, I think there's been rumors that they could trade up to two of them. So that could leave them open to trading. You know, they're trying to, apparently, they're trying to upgrade their lineup through trades. They want to get some long term guys around Jazz's age to upgrade the lineup. That'd be the way to do it. So now, uh, if you think about it, Johnny Cueto could be a perfect stopgap to a guy like Yuri, uh, Yuri Perez. So that, that means they could have, they could trade two of their guys and then have Johnny Cueto as their number five starter. And then sometime later this year, call up Yuri Perez and it would not force Yuri to be in the rotation right away. I think that's pretty smart actually. Yeah. I mean, that's what I see about that equator to the Marlins saying, I need my belt to the blue Jays. Where is where is he going to play? DH. So no more Danny Jansen then. They have three catchers. They can't. Danny work. Jansen's a righty, and Brandon Belt is a lefty. So my thinking is that they will be platooning, and then Jansen will also be the backup catcher. So you've got a DH platoon with Jansen as the backup catcher for Kirk. That makes sense. Yeah, and I guess you've yeah. got to break break glass in case of emergency with Varsho at catcher. Yeah, and especially you still have Belt, uh, who always gets hurt every single year. This very help. This helps his odds of not getting hurt tremendously <laughs> by, by making him a DH. So because uh, Belt was really good for a couple uh, in 2020 and 2021, and he kind of fell back a little last year. He got hurt again. So. Uh, wasn't he, he was like the he was like the he's the only left-handed hitter to hit 30 home runs at oracle since barry bonds yeah and brandon belt was a top prospect coming up a lot of people think that if he was drafted by many other teams like a team with a normal uh right field that he might have much better had a much stronger career but you know i don't know uh, I like Belt. I've always liked Belt. It's like a nice complimentary yeah. player to my fantasy teams. Yeah, Brandon Belt's always that guy who, at least in my leagues, doesn't get drafted. Somebody ends up picking him up after he has 10 home runs in a month. Yeah. Uh, Zach Thompson traded to the Blue Jays. Does that matter at all? Not 
I don't think so. I think he's going to be a swing man. Yeah, he's not stealing anyone's spot. No, he's just going to be a swing man. Uh, but he was going to start for the Pirates, I think. So that's interesting. Yeah, but that they're opening a spot up. That's actually good for uh, Luis Ortiz, I think, the rookie. That's good news for him. Now he's going to have a clear opening to start. So that's from a fantasy perspective. Zach Thompson's okay, but now he's going to be a swing man. So his value is only in super deep leagues where you need like those types of SPRP type guys, uh, RPs who are just going to get a lot of innings. And then at the same time, you open up a spot for Luis Ortiz. So that's the big fantasy uh, implication from that deal. Corey Dickerson to the Nationals. Does that matter at all? I think he's going to start DH. Maybe. Menzies and him? I don't really know what they're going to do with that. Yeah, Joey Manessis. Maybe... Maybe they'll platoon. I doubt it with the way Manessa's finished the year. I think they're going to give him full-time playing time until he proves that was just a hot streak. Or maybe he's legit. Um, no, I don't Sorry, think this now, matters like, a ton unless you're in adult-only leagues. It could be some easy run. If, you need, if you're in a deep league and you need some counting stats, it could be decent because right now Corey Dickerson is projected to hit fifth for the Nationals in a platoon, in a strong side platoon with Alex Call. In left field. And Dickerson, I watched a good amount of him with the Cardinals last year. He was pretty solid. And something that a lot of people don't know is that I want to say around June, Dickerson changed his batting stance to basically be a left-handed Paul Goldschmidt. Like if you watch Dickerson hit in the second half, like his batting stance looked exactly like a freaking left-handed Paul Goldschmidt. And get this, this is his second half stats. 306 at batting average, 330 OBP, 459 slug for a 124 WRC+. Now, he only hit four homers because it's Corey Dickerson, and he was also a lefty in Bush Stadium, which is like Detroit, the two worst ballparks for lefties. Um, but that's to me, that's a little bit interesting. And Nationals, plays up, Nationals ballpark plays up to hitters too versus pitchers. So this could be decent in deep leagues for like, let's say you're in NFBC and you just need some bench outfielder or like someone gets hurt. I think Dickerson could provide some sort of value in something like that. Got any thoughts on that? Man, I didn't realize he changed his batting stance. I just love how you throw out these comps. Like he just turned into Paul Goldschmidt without any of the power. (laughs) Well, well, no, no, but just watch visually. Watch yeah, yeah, no, visually, I get what you're saying. Watch the it's literally Paul Goldschmidt's stance from the left side and a smaller dude. So it's like kind of interesting because Goldie, Goldie's huge. Goldie looks like a power, like a power forward. Like even he's like, he's like 35. He's old like me and he's still in ridiculously good shape. So like, that's why people are like, oh, Goldie's old. He's 35. It's like, have you seen this guy? Like <laughs> this guy is in just ridiculous shape. I don't think he drinks. Like I don't, he doesn't, he's got a big family. I don't think he like is doing anything bad to his body. He's just like, he's one of those guys who's going to be like Tom Brady and Verlander and just play till he's like 45. Like I would not be surprised. Next guy we want to talk about here is before we get to your trade, which we'll review is Liam Hendricks was diagnosed with cancer with, uh, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, so that sucks. We don't really know what it's going to do for fantasy. 
or for baseball this year. Sounds like they won't have an update until closer to the season on when he can play, if he can play. We'll see how it affects his play, uh, what kind of treatment he's going to get. Because Mancini had this when he, Mancini had his issue, which was a different type of cancer. Then he missed a whole year. But Hendricks, um, not Hodgkin's lymphoma. I have a family member with this, and I don't even think there's treatment. I think, from my knowledge, I don't think there's ways to treat it. I think it's just like something you have to you do. You you go in, you get checked up, you almost have to just live with it. I don't really. I mean, I'm not a doctor. I'm not an expert, so don't take that to the bank. But I have a family member with that, and from from what I've been told, that's kind of like it's just one of those things that. It's not like a chemo type treatment, but I, I could be 100% wrong on that. You got anything on that? You know, I totally. Yeah. First of all, I'd like to self deprecate here a little bit because my wife is literally a cancer nurse. That is what she does for a living. Oh, about this before I came on this podcast, and I did not. And I'm sorry. Um, second of all, yeah. Hope he makes a full recovery. This is much more important than fantasy baseball. Um, but yeah, I think you're right. They said they won't even talk about this again till spring training, the end of spring training or something like that. But you got to figure Kendall Graveman steps in, picks up saves for the White Sox. Could it be Graveman or could it be Aaron Bummer who should be fully healthy? Wait, and so... then also, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, isn't there a pretty big name? Those are out there still. Chapman. There you go. Maybe. I, But the thing is, Bummer's a lefty, and then also Garrett Crochet's a lefty. And I want to talk about Garrett Crochet later, so we'll get back in him later. Um, but they've got already two lefties, so I don't know if they want to add a third lefty to the bullpen. All right, Raymond, tell us a little about this Soto Veerling trade, because I wanted to talk to you about it last pod, but uh, you couldn't make it on. So, yeah, the Tigers traded uh, Gregory Soto, a left-handed reliever. He was their closer last year for what basically amounts to three quad-A players with a little bit of upside, it seems like. I don't have all the names. Who is it? Matt Veerling. You help me with the other two. Yeah, uh, Nick Maytone and Donnie Sands. Yeah, so... It sounds like they like some people think Matt Veerling could actually be like an everyday player, start every day and hit for some decent power. Um, they said, I think the Tigers are penciling him to play third base on opening day, it sounds like. So um, I don't know. It could matter. Scott Harris, the new Tigers GM, think that they need to develop young players every day on the major league roster. So I think. At least two of these guys, probably Veerling and Maytone, are going to play damn near every day. I don't know if they'll be any good, but they'll play. That's interesting. I mean, I guess they'll be swapping in and out because they're primarily bench guys. I mean, the Tigers roster ain't the best, but uh, I think Veerling is one of those outfielders you can play every position, so he'll be able to give guys a break. So that, that can be helpful. It's like um, the the Tigers have like five ten on their team now. Like they have 
like the article I read said Veerling, Matone, uh, Shoop, and Eric Haas all can play all over the place. Oh, is Haas going to? Is he going to just be the catcher? Is he just going to be the catcher now? Probably. Yeah, they, I mean, like I'm looking traded. at the roster right now, and it's, it's, it's. I mean, there's interesting pieces, but it's just like, even though you spent all that money, where are the stars? <laughs> you know, the Austin Meadows, interesting. Javi Baez, kind of interesting, overpaid for sure. Riley Green, interesting. Kerry Carpenter, interesting. Uh, Torkelson, interesting. Badu, interesting. Looks like Matone is supposed to start at third base right now. I don't really understand that. Uh, I guess you have no third baseman because you let Candelario go, which I didn't really get that move either. Uh, yeah, so I mean, like, there's some interesting dudes on this team, but it's like there's no Miguel Cabrera is the superstar still <laughs> of this team. So here's what I think they're trying to do this year is like because Miguel Cabrera is retiring at the end of the year, and this team is in no place to contend this year. They're all of their starting pitching prospects are hurt. So Casey Mize, Tariq Skubal are both probably not going to pitch. Healthy? 2023. Yeah, I guess Matt Manning's healthy. But he was by far the worst of those guys. Um, I mean, he kind of came on at the end there. But, um, yeah, he had 12 starts last year. So I think, I think Scott Harris is playing for 2024. And if he can get one of these guys as an everyday starter for – Gregory Soto, who was only an all-star because he played on the Tigers when they had literally nobody else to send to the all-star game. So I think, I don't know. Soto's not going to close in Philly now, so he has pretty much no value. How long is Scoople supposed to be out for? Uh, All year, I think. He had major really? flendon, He had major flexor tendon surgery in August. I don't think he'll pitch this year. I didn't know that was an all-year thing. I thought I figured he was. I thought he was supposed to be back like halfway through the year. Oh, maybe I don't know, but I don't see the Tigers rushing it. Yeah, I wouldn't. <laughs> There's no reason to. All right, um, let's get into the auto mock that I have going on right now. We left off with Logan O'Hoppy as my last pick. I've had like seven or eight picks since then. Um, my. Next pick after Hoppy was Drew Rasmussen for $7. And I posted on Twitter a poll of a $7 Drew Rasmussen or a $9 Nestor Cortez. Who would you pick there, Raymond? Um, you said $9 Nestor Cortez? Yeah. I, dude, I'd probably take Cortez at this point. Like all the things we talked about with the Rasmussen last time and the Rays, and I don't, I don't know. I think, I think Cortez might just be slightly more proven, and even with the two dollars, I'd probably take Cortez. Yeah, it's pretty close. I mean, the reason I picked yeah, these guys is—is is, is it in my F scores? It's like they're almost—they're very identical pitchers, um, according to the F scores. They both have one hundred seven stuff. Rasmussen has a 112 control and Cortez is 109, so very close. And then Rasmussen has a 122 FERA and Cortez is 131. So these two are really close. 
And that's why I put this up here. I was just interested because I think a lot of people are down on Rasmussen this year, and there's a lot of value to be had there. And people just like Nestor because he's funny, <laughs> right? Like he's got the mustache and he's like all over Pitching Ninja with his little hijinks and like his delays in his delivery. Like he's just a fun pitcher. So I think Cortez, people are going to naturally tend toward, which they did in the poll. It was 64% Cortez and 36% Rasmussen. Uh, but a couple of people did comment and they were like Rasmussen all day. And I mean, I would take Rasmussen because obviously I picked him. Uh, but I think that there's some, I just wanted to highlight this a little bit. I think the market in general is down on Rasmussen this year. And it's a little bit unwarranted because he's a very similar pitcher to Cortez. And Cortez is going like 10 or 20 pitchers higher, 20, 10 or 20 starting pitching spots higher than him. So I think there's some good value there in Rasmussen that I wanted to point out. Yeah, no, I definitely, the thing about Cortez is that his, his biggest quality is that he just limits hard contact. And that is such a hard skill to prove over and over again. And so he's he's got, what, 330 major league innings under his belt. And so it's starting to get to the point where that sample size is big enough to believe that is an actual skill that he possesses. So, yeah. Yeah. So next vote I put up here, I did this on purpose. <laughs> I think it's pretty funny. But I... Uh, I picked my next pick was a $8 Miguel Vargas and I pitted him up against a $7 Justin Turner. I know you like that. <laughs> right. But it's literally the decision that the Dodgers made. So uh, Miguel Vargas or Justin Turner, who, who are you picking? Yeah. Give me, give me Vargas. I'll take the, I, I think I mentioned, I don't know if we were recording when I said this, but like me to a fault as a fantasy baseball player is I want the, I want the exciting young guy with upside. Like I'm not a Justin Turner guy who, you know, he's going to get hurt. You know, he's almost 40. Like I'm not, I'm not the, the old veteran guy. I, I'm the, I'm the prospect guy. So yeah. Give me Vargas. Yeah, and this is an odd new league too, so it makes sense. This is dynasty, so like. Oh yeah, you know. so so after <laughs> after this year or next year when Justin Turner retires, there's no point in drafting him yeah. at all. Yeah, there's no more value to him. Vargas goes up two bucks, so yeah. they'll have Vargas next year for ten dollars, or if he gets arbed a couple bucks, he might be like twelve dollars. So that's fine. If he's getting arbitration dollars, that means he was really good. So I'll take that. Yeah. Um, I mean, right now, I think Turner's the better player uh, just based on their production. But Vargas definitely has a much higher ceiling. He's, even in the F scores, Vargas has speed, too. He's one of those power speed guys. So he's a third base guy who could get... I, want, I don't want to say quite 2020. I think Vargas is more like an 18-18 guy or something like that. Like, he's between 15 to 20 homers and 15 to 20 steals. It's kind of like what I see Vargas doing. The, the only thing, the only thing I would say is like, Otnews are all points league, or this is a points league, right? So yes, if there was a scenario where I would take Justin Turner over Vargas, it would be in a points league. But being dynasty and yeah, in a I mean, redraft still, points league, I'll still take Vargas. Yeah. Yep. Next, we have a fifteen dollar Corbin Carroll that I picked up, which was the, basically the rest of the money I have left. Like now. Right now, where I'm in the draft, after like we get through these guys that we're gonna talk about, I only have like twenty dollars left, and I have to get I still have to add like fifteen guys. <laughs> so it's all like one and two dollar guys from here on out. Um, 
So this matchup, I put a $15 Corbin Carroll against a $25 Luis Robert. Who are you picking there? Yeah, I'll take I'll take the ten dollars in Corbin Carroll. Yeah, I, I, this Robert one. Robert Robert could make that look ridiculous, but yeah, Carroll smoked this one. It was eighty nine point five percent of the vote for Carroll and only ten and a half percent for Robert. And uh, yeah, Robert Robert whatever. Like I've heard it both ways. So uh, Carroll and Robert because I like the French version. Uh, Robert's got better contact. Carroll's got much, much better play discipline, not even close. Robert's got more power, and then Carroll is the fastest player in baseball. So definitely wins on the speed there, even though Robert still has good speed. Uh, and then I think Carroll is going is leaning in the durability column too. Even though Carroll missed an entire season in the minors, uh, Robert has had injuries the past couple of years, I think, in different parts of the year. Sorry. So, um, I just, th- I, there's definitely a scenario where Robert outperforms at $25. It's just, he's got to stay healthy, man. That's a tall task, it seems like. Yeah. And just considering increases, um, I think that Carol, it would take him a couple of years to get to Robert's, where to, to match up to Robert's price. So I'm going to have value, even if they're the same player. I'm going to have value on yeah. Carroll for a couple of years on that. Yeah, Next one, I, ha- I picked up a $9 Grayson Rodriguez, which I was ecstatic about because I love G-Rod, as we've talked about in previous podcasts. And I put him up against a $20 Christian Javier. Who are you taking? Dude, I hate to just keep taking the cheaper guy, but that's – especially in your position, like you didn't need – you didn't need Javier with that stud pitching core you got going on. I do think. Yeah, nor could I afford him. <laughs> if the Orioles play games with Rodriguez and Javier backs up what he did last year, there's there's definitely a scenario where Javier is a top 10 starting pitcher and Rodriguez, is, I don't know, doesn't come up till after the All-Star break. I mean, worst case scenario. So that one could yeah. backfire. But you don't need you don't need him to be up on up on opening day a with your rotation b for that amount of money. So yeah, no, yeah. that was a smart pick. But I, I, I love think, Javier too. Yeah, and I think it would be silly for the Orioles to not have Girod in the opening day rotation at this point. Why are you going to waste more of his bullets in the minors when they were yeah. on the verge of? Call- they were literally saying, "Hey, Grayson Rodriguez is probably going to come up the next start," and then he got hurt. They're like, this is going to be his last start in the minors. And then he got hurt. So why are they going to play games with that? If he comes in and is healthy and strong in the spring in spring training, I don't see why they would mess with that. Javier definitely has very high upside stuff. I know Nick Pollock from Pitcher List has him in like his top 20. So um, I think I've got Javier in the 30s or something. Like I, I'm not looking at it right now. But um, I also have G-Rod in, in the 30s. So uh, G-Rod has better stuff between the two in my opinion javier had 194 strikeouts in 148 innings last year yeah um, a, su- remember, a sub one whip remember too he was also a reliever for a portion of the season so that is definitely going to help his stuff play five up. games according to only five only five games he's a reliever only five games 
He's a long reliever too. So I brought it up. Uh, Christian Javier, I have as my number 36 starting pitcher. And Grayson Rodriguez, I have as my number 32 starting pitcher. I think but, we need to move Javier up. Uh, I have Luis Severino directly ahead of Javier. And it's really hard for me to move Javier ahead of Severino. Because Sevi is really good when he's healthy. Yeah, but he's um, never healthy. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> um, I don't know. That's a little tough for me. I should probably do it. And then I just love Rodriguez because to me, so well. So that's an interesting. So he has he has he has top ten stuff to me. Like a one, he's got a one forty two stuff rating on my metrics. The only other guys that have over a one forty are Tyler Glass now, Spencer Strider, and Jacob Degrom. That's it. We got four guys with over a one forty stuff in my metrics, and he's one of them. Javier, the way you do your F scores, Javier would be hard to get much higher than even 32 because he doesn't have very good command. No, he doesn't. Um, it's a good point. I don't know. I could, I could see myself. I'm, I mean, I, I could see myself taking him over Val Framber even in yeah. certain scenarios or Jordan Montgomery or Logan Webb. It's just interesting so. to me that you're so sold on. Rodriguez's stuff when we've never seen it play at the major league level. And we just saw Christian Javier strike out almost 200 in, 200 batters in 150 innings. Like, I mean, we'll see, just... we'll see how, it tra- we'll see how it translates. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for sure. Like I, like I said, when I do my correlations from minors to majors for the stuff or for my, all my F scores, I literally take 50 of the top prospects and take all of their last three seasons like I, it, it was a lot of work that went into it, so I'm gonna trust the correlation because I took it's it's correlated over the last three years, um, so it has a lot of data backing that up. That because if I was just to take his minor league stats and put it straight in the major league thing, his stuff would read like 180. Probably. Yeah, it's just so absolutely good. ridiculous. So, <laughs> yeah, um, I mean we'll see. Well, hopefully we'll see it this year and we'll be able to <laughs> judge it. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, Next one I got on here is Tyler O'Neill. I got a $6 Tyler O'Neill, and I pitted him up against a $16 Adelise Garcia. Who are you taking? I'm not an Adelise guy, so give me O'Neill, which is probably – I hate siding with you and the Cardinals every time, but – Well, the funny thing is Adelise Garcia, the Cardinals waived him Yeah, because they couldn't fit him in the outfield. So <laughs> – uh, they're very similar players where they're both like power speed with like really pretty crappy play discipline. Yeah. Um, the funny thing is in my model, O'Neill's play discipline is actually still above average because he still walks. He strikes out a ton, but he also walks a ton. Um, almost like Gallo. He's got like Gallo dis- play discipline in a way. It's like tons of strikeouts, but then he also still walks, except he has better contact rates than Gallo. That's a difference. Andy is also a righty. Yeah, Andy's faster. Andy's also a righty, so he's not going to get shifted to death. So, I, I'm I'm thinking like Tyler O'Neill could be a really big bounce back for this next year. I don't know if people know about it, but apparently, like everybody knows, Tyler O'Neill is like the most ripped guy in baseball, right? Like, yeah, jacked. He, yeah, he looks like Zeus. So, um, apparently, this off season. 
he's just doing like straight yoga. He's like not even lifting. He's just like doing like all flexibility and yoga and stuff like that. And calisthenics. TB12 model. To make sure he doesn't get hurt for the first time in like ever. Uh, So I, I really think that this is something that could prove helpful to him. And O'Neill has Scott Boris as his agent. And he's like training with like all Boris's people because he's a free agent in two years. So Boris is like, dude, we got to get you that Korea money. Let's go. Like <laughs> stay healthy. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to give you I I don't want to have three physicals fail. Like Carlos Correa when you <laughs> become a free agent. So you got to get healthy. Um, uh, so like, I'm pretty big on Tyler O'Neill this year. Uh, he, he could be, he's very boomer bust. But it's six dollars. If he busts, it's not that big of a loss, so I'm okay with that. Yeah, I mean the upside's tremendous. Yeah, exactly. He could be thirty thirty for sure. Um, power and speed. If he puts it all together and is healthy, uh, the next one I had a three dollar Josh Young, and I pitted him up against a four dollar Cabrian Hayes. Who are you taking there? Uh, give me Josh Young. I've been. That shoulder injury at to the start spring training last year just completely deflated. I'm sure him, the Rangers, me personally, but they don't care about what I think. Like, man, I think I think he's got the opportunity to be good. And you want to talk about prospect fatigue, man, he was he was everywhere. And then I think he had another fluke injury a year or two ago or whatever. So I mean he flashed he flashed some of the tools at the majors when his his cup of coffee, but I think he struck out like 40% of the time or something. So yeah, hopefully yeah. he can, hopefully he can put it together. Is he supposed to play every day? Yeah. He's supposed to be the regular 30 baseman for the Rangers. And he had a pretty bad time at the end of the year last year with his plate discipline. But I think a part of that is just him trying to get like, this is what happened to him. He was supposed to start the season on the Rangers. He gets hurt working out in the off season. He was not even supposed to come back last year. He still somehow was back in the minors in like June and July, even though he was supposed to be out the whole year with the shoulder surgery. And he fought his way to the majors. I think by the time he got to the majors, he was just so worn out from the surgery, from playing when he wasn't supposed to even be playing to getting, finally getting up to the majors that he just like was pooped. I mean, that's, that's like the best way I would put it by the end of the year. Um, and honestly, I love this for my team because I did not get a premier third baseman. I was trying to bid on Austin Riley and he just went way over my budget. Cause you know how much I like Austin Riley. <laughs> then I tried to get on Gunnar Henderson. He went way over budget cause he's a rookie and he went for like $30. Oh my uh, gosh. Yeah. Dual eligible though. Yeah. Dual eligible. Um, what about, uh, Devers and, um, Gosh. So third base, third base in this mock, just ridiculous. Like, okay, so uh, Jose went for like fifty, and then uh, R- Devers, Riley, uh, who else is? I have to bring Devers up. and Riley is who I really cared about. No, there were like there were like five or six guys on the block because it's a slow draft, all at the same time. And they all got up to like $38, $39, And I was just like, I don't, I already had purchased Goldie at that time. And I had already purchased Trey Turner and I was bidding on Mookie Betts. And I was like, I cannot afford another $40 hitter at that time. 
So there was uh, at the same, we had Manny Machado uh, went for like 40. Yeah, um, that makes sense. He, so he was on the block. Bobby Witt Jr. was on the block. Austin Riley, who Bobby Witt actually went kind of cheap at like 27. Austin Riley Ooh. was on the block. Uh, Gunnar Henderson was on the block. Rafael Devers was on the block. Carlos Correa was on the block. All those guys were literally on the block. And then Arenado, I think, went on the block at the very end of that bid. But all of this, all those guys were on the block at the same exact time. And they all just got bid up so high because it was the same people competing against them. And everyone's like, oh, third, third base is scarce. Third base is scarce. <laughs> but it's like, look at all those guys I just listed. They're all superstars. And they all just went for a ridiculous amount of money. So instead of bidding on all those guys... I got Miguel Vargas for eight and Josh Young for three. And I'm just thinking that one of those two guys is going to be good for a really cheap amount of money. So I'm, I'm down with that strategy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, that's the way to do it. Like if you don't get one of those stud guys, just it's like me and outfield in that CBS mock, just sell up for upside. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the last guy I got here, I haven't made a poll about it yet, but I got a $2 Gavin Stone, who's a prospect for the Dodgers. And like I said earlier, I'm at the point now where really all I can afford are $1 and $2 guys. So I'm just throwing guys out there at $1 or $2 and seeing who I end up with. There were a lot of guys I threw out there that didn't come back to me that I was a little disappointed with. I obviously bid a lot on Lars Newbar when he was available and didn't get him because uh, you know how much I love Newbar. Uh, Chad Young actually beat me out on him at like the last second. It was a, I was sad. I was like watching the countdown on the slow draft because it's good. It's like when you bid someone, they're on there for 12 hours. And I pulled it up and it was like new bar had like 25 minutes left. And I was like watching it go down and it was at like four minutes and then he bit him up. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was heartbreaking, Raymond. Roster resource is interesting with Vargas. They don't have him starting. Who do they have starting? So it's weird. They have Max Muncie at third, Chris Taylor at second, and James Outman in left field. But they, they got to put Vargas at third, Taylor in left, and then Muncie at second is what I would think. I'm, I'm pretty sure I read some quotes from Farhan that are not uh, – not Farhan. Uh, what's his face? Uh, who's who's their GM? Friedman. Friedman, yeah, Friedman. I was reading some some quotes from Friedman, and he was saying something that like Vargas is a key piece to their team this year. Blah 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 blah. Yeah, Make it sound kind of like that he was going to be they there. They said that uh, they're trying like hell to get under the uh, luxury tax, and they're not going to make it. But yeah, he's on record saying uh, that they're going to have to lean on some young players to contribute. Yeah, and that I think is a specifically a reference to, to Vargas. Make, yeah, to I don't Vargas, think... their top prospect. So, <laughs> nothing against Outman. I just don't think if it comes down to the two of them, it's got to be Vargas. Yeah, and Outman's pretty good too. Yeah, but, uh, dude, he's I mean, six ta- three. Ta- Taylor's more like a super utility guy anyway. I think it makes more sense for them to just move Taylor around the diamond. So. Yeah. Uh, that's where I'm at in the odd new league right now, the auto mock. And then once I think we'll probably finish drafting in the next few days here and go over my whole team. Um, let's get into the relievers. We left off at relief pitcher 19. 
And people aren't super excited about relievers, so we're just going to kind of go tier by tier here for the next few tiers and then name off a few guys that we each like. So the next tier, so we left off after tier five. The next tier, tier six, we have number 20 relief pitcher, Evan, Evan Phillips, with a 119 F score. Uh, we have number 21, Clay Holmes, who should be the closer for the Yankees, um, most likely, with a 114 F score. And Evan Phillips may or may not be a closer for the Dodgers. I kind of list him as a co-closer because I think he's the best reliever and should take that role, but there's no guarantee in that. Number 22, we have Daniel Hudson, who should close as well uh, for the Nationals. Number 23, we have Brandon Hughes for the Cubs, who I think also should be closing. Number 24 is Camilo Doval, who is closing for the Giants. 25, Dylan Flora, who should be closing for the Marlins at, with a 121 F score. And number 26, Daniel Bard, who's going to be closing for the Rockies with a 115 F score. So the tier is Phillips, Holmes, Hudson, Hughes, Doval, Floro, Bard. Anyone in that tier in particular grab your interest, Raymond? Well, um, isn't the Deco- Daniel Hudson's a Dodger? Oh, he's a Dodger? I thought he was in the Nationals. Am I missing something? Sorry to ruin sorry to ruin your uh tier there, but no, he's a He's signed through this year, and he's got an option for next year. I just looked oh, it up. Oh, you're right. You're right. That's why. Okay, so that's why no one. Okay, so I listed them both as co-closer. Co-closers. I forgot yeah. which ones. Yeah, I forgot which one was co-closer. Yep. Which team? So that's. I guess they're both co-closers together. Okay, Dude, so who? If if you're picking one, who are you banking on to close them? I I bet they'll start with Hudson. I'm honestly, I'll. I I've always been the talent wins out guy, and it's gotten me into some trouble. So Phillips might be quote unquote better, but if Hudson has the job, I'll probably lean Hudson. But dude, what if what if the Dodgers are the ones who sign Chapman? If they can't come in under the luxury tax anyways, maybe they spend ten million dollars for a prove it deal. They just cut Aroldis Trevor Chapman. Bauer. How are they gonna yeah. sign Araldis Chapman when they just cut Trevor Bauer? Because it's totally it's totally different. Like Gabe said, uh, he, he shot a gun. Like around his girlfriend. I don't no, know. No, I know. And it's like that stuff is not linear. It doesn't make sense. It's all perception and it's all fluid. Like, I don't know. You're right. Yeah. That's a good point. But I don't know. Honestly, dude, if we're picking a closer, give me Bruce R. Gratterall. Let that dude close. That dude's freaking awesome. I like Gratterall too, but Phillips is better. I think. I think Phillips is the, is better than than all of them. But um, hey, that's me. Um, I want to talk about in this tier. I wanted to talk a little bit about Brandon Hughes. Uh, you know, for I'm not a big Cubbies guy, but Brandon Hughes is pretty dang good. Uh, in a small sample last year. My F scores have him with a 119 stuff rating, 123 control, and a 109 FERA, which it's kind of hard for Cubs pitchers to pitch with a good FERA because the Cubs uh, have not had the best defense or the best ballpark for their pitchers. But um, he was pretty strong down the stretch, and he was getting saves down the stretch. So I think he's like one of those late sources for, for saves that you can – kind of count on more than you would think and you can get good value on that um i mean that's my thoughts on him what do you think 
Lefty closers always give me pause. But yeah, he's he was pretty good down the down the stretch. You're right. Like if he if he breaks spring training as the closer, yeah, I'm down. I'm down for some Brandon Hughes. One of my leagues I draft with literally the biggest Cubs fan ever. So if he's the guaranteed closer, he this dude will take him in like the sixth round. It's so it's so annoying. But every time I think there's a value of a player and for the Cubs, it's like, nope, this guy's gonna sneak him first, ten rounds early. Yeah. <laughs> so so I also wanted to talk about Camilo Duvall because I'm really down on Camilo Duvall. I have him as my twenty fourth ranked earlier. I am not sure he's gonna hold on to that job. His command is just so bad. Like, I think that there's a very good possibility that Taylor Rogers is going to be sniping saves from him this year, the whole year. He can kind of get away with it in San Francisco, though, because that place is so big. If he walks one, and then, yeah, I don't know. They just it just deflates Babbitt so much that whole park. So, Taylor Rogers has been a really good closer in the past, though. And he's yeah, left, but again, righty, he's, so he he's could left, he could take he could take yeah. some saves from him. I think I think I, I mean I, I don't think that Doval would lose the role one hundred percent, but I really It'd think that there's a good chance that yeah, I really think there's a good chance that he's not the full time closer, and that gets that becomes close closer lefty righty. Um, so if I'm drafting Doval, that would be something I'm on the lookout for. I just want to make sure that the listeners know about that. Um, because I am not in on him. <laughs> um, he, dude, I mean, he gets strikeouts. His swing and miss stuff is elite. Like he kind of got, like I said, between Oracle and his swing and miss stuff, he gets away with it. Mm, 17 and a half K minus walk rate last year and a 29.4% CSW. It's okay. It's good. I want to call that elite. Uh, he does have good pitches, but that doesn't mean he's using the mid, the pitch mix properly. I guess his K rate isn't elite, but his average exit velocity, 94th percentile. Uh, barrel percentage, 89th percentile. Fastball spin, 96th percentile. Fastball velo, 99th percentile. Like I said, though, his control is very bad. Oh, he yeah, for sure. It is he, very he bad. A, he had a 12% walk rate in the second half last year. And that led to a 14.8% K minus walk rate, which is not good for in a 132 whip, which is not good for a closer. Dude, he had 30 walks in 67 innings. <laughs> like that yeah. is really bad. That is really bad. Yeah. Not not fun to be watching that. It's hard it's a heart attack every time your closer is on the mound. Um, so let's roll into tier number six now, unless you have anyone else in this tier that you want to bring up. No, I'm good. Okay, cool. Uh, tier number six, we have number 27 reliever, Jason Adam who I have as the co-closer for the Rays with Fairbanks. Uh, he has a 114 F score. Number 28 is Craig Kimbrell with the Phillies. I have him as the listed as the full closer, dude. I think he's going to be the closer. I don't care. Oh, sorry. I don't care how many Gregory Sotos you add to this team. Uh, Kimbrell is going to be the, is the Hall of Famer in the bullpen. He's probably going to be getting the saves. Uh, 112 F score for Kimbrell. Number 29, Jose LeClerc who should probably be closing for the Rangers, but it's not a guarantee. 107 F score. Number 30, Jose Alvarado, who's going to be the lefty handcuff, in my opinion, to Cabral rather than Soto, because Alvarado is better than Soto. They won at 15 F score. Number 31, Chris Martin, 
who is going to be the setup man for Jansen with the Red Sox with a 140 F score. So Chris Martin has really good stuff. <laughs> uh, 32, AJ Minter with a 124 F score. He's a setup man. Uh, Jonathan Loisega is number 33. Setup man. And Minter, by the way, with the Braves. Loisega with the Yankees, 121 F score. Number 34, Eric Swanson traded to the Jays. He will be the setup man for Romano with a 114 F score. And number 35, James Karinchak, set a man to Class A with a 112F score. So that is Adam, Kimbrell, Leclerc, Alvarado, Martin, Minter, Loisega, Swanson, Karinchak. So we're at the point, Raymond, where we're getting out of closers. We're like at the worst tail end of closers. Not quite, but close. And hitting uh, some of the better setup men. What do you think about this tier? Yeah, I think... I think my favorite guy in this list is probably Chet or Crimbrel because he has. I always say Crimbrel. There's no, there's not two R's in his name. It's Kimbrell. I don't know why I can't say his name right, but I haven't been able to do it for like five years. But <laughs> it's so funny. He's got roster resource has all four: Alvarado, Kimbrel, um, Sir Anthony, and Soto, all listed as closer. And that's just hilarious to me. But they could all get saves, but I think that it's if if I'm if I'm betting and I had to pick a spread, I'm I'm giving Kimbrell seventy percent of the saves in the staff. Yeah, dude, uh having been a fan of David Dombrowski managed teams for ten years, um, he he's a one closer kind of guy. So yeah, I don't think they would have signed him if if they weren't gonna get him the lines share of saves and i don't think he would have signed there if they weren't going to give him the lion's share of saves so my my closer strategy is to get like well like a top 12 guy with elite ratios and saves and then get a guy with worse ratios but is the guaranteed closer at least on opening day and then take a, a dart throw with like my third one so Kimbrell's a guy I'm going to be targeting in a lot of drafts because he's on a, a playoff contending team, and I think he's going to be the closer, which is a big deal. Yeah. Um, I mean, I like I, – I, that's why I have him ranked so high because I think he's not that good anymore. Yeah, yeah, he's not. Number number 28 for Kimbrell, um, I think that's just about right, like the 28th spot of relievers for him. I have just ahead of him, Jason Adam, I wanted to talk about. He was really, really good last year. Uh, the thing is, Fairbanks is like maybe elite if he was healthy. So I think Fairbanks should get the majority of the saves for the Rays if he is healthy. But he gets hurt all the time. And that's why I like Adam because Adam is also really good. And in holds oh leagues, he should be getting you holds until he becomes uh, the closer when Fairbanks probably gets hurt. Dude, his baseball savant page is insane. Adam or Fairbanks? Adam. Oh, my yeah. God. 99th percentile hard hit rate, 99th percentile X slug, 100 percentile fastball spin rate, 97th percentile average exit velo, 99th percentile uh, expected batting average, 92nd K, K rate. Like, oh, my gosh. I don't know if you should be surprised because – it's a raise player. Yeah, no, yeah. And that's the thing. That's just what they do with relievers, you know. 
Yeah, there's probably two guys that we've never heard of that they're working on right now who are going to be the Jason Adam of next season. Like, yeah. So, um, I'm all about some Jason Adam in the event that, and I mean, even even regardless, even as a holds guy, like his ratios are so good that he's going to help you. And then so he, he you holds ratios. Fairbanks gets hurt, he'll probably be getting saves because last year he only had eight saves. Um, but it's possible if circumstances change that get a little more on him. Uh, the next guy in this tier that I wanted to mention is I wanted to talk about Jose Alvarado because out of, like I said, out of the other guys besides Cambrell and that Phillies bullpen, I think Alvarado would be number two for saves because he's a much better version of Soto and he's a lefty. So if they decide to do splits, like how kind of like how I was talking about the Giants might do, then I think Alvarado would be that lefty guy to come in. I I mean, I think they had a chance to do that last year, and then they just didn't. Yeah. Who did they, uh, who did they sign at the deadline? Um, or trade for or whatever? Who ended Knable, up? Corey Knable, and he got hurt. And he was no, not good. No, no, no. They traded for someone, an old guy, right-handed, who David Robertson. David Robertson. Thank you. I was gonna say he was a Cub. Um, and they kind of did that weird three-headed monster thing. So, yeah. I mean, if you have to pick one, he's probably next. But they gave uh, Sir Anthony some save chances too. So, Sir Anthony was so bad in the second half. Is what people forget. People are going to look at his overall numbers and be like, oh, Sir Anthony was back. He was amazing. But in the second half, I'm going to pull this up real quick. Sir Anthony Dominguez, second half. Say something interesting while I'm searching for this. You got five seconds. <laughs> they have so many left-handed relievers on their team. They do now. Okay, so Sir, Ma- Sir Anthony Dominguez in the second half last year had a 471 ERA. A 450 xFIP, a seven a 7.4 K minus walk rate with a 16 percent walk rate. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's not that's no bueno. Yeah, that's how bad he was in the second half. And I guess like you don't sign a Hall of Fame closer and trade for a two time All Star if you're confident in your bullpen. Like the proof is in the pudding, right? <laughs> like yeah. So, Sir Anthony, second half last year, 21 innings pitched and 15 walks. Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> that's Dombrowski, though. Like, he'll – I wouldn't be surprised if he trades for a closer at the deadline. Like, that's just what he does. Yeah. All right, let's rock through one more tier here. Uh, 36, Alex Lang. I know you're going to want to talk about him. Most likely the closer for the Tigers with a 107 F score. Oh, this 37. Huge. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's it's solid, solidly, solidly decently big. Not as big as my starting pitcher tiers. Number thirty-seven, Kyle Finnegan. <laughs> who, oh, here's my Nationals closer, bro. Uh, Probably Nationals closer, Kyle Finnegan, one hundred seven F score. Uh, Thirty-eight, Jimmy Herget, who could be an Angels co-closer with a one eleven F score. Thirty-nine, Taylor Rogers, setup man for the Giants, who I've already discussed in this podcast, who could become. A co-closer for the Giants, a 107 F score. Number 40, Colin McHugh, 127 F score. 
Braves, like, he's not even the setup man. The Braves bullpen is so deep. He's just, like, in the middle of the bullpen. Uh, but he's so good still. 41, Hector Neris. Uh, he's with the Astros still, I believe, with a 118 F score. Also not a setup man. 42, Matt Brash. Again, not a setup man. For the Mariners, a 111 F score. I just love his potential. And Brash out of the bullpen was so good last year that this is someone who could turn into someone elite at some point. 43, Araldis Chapman. Uh, no F scores because he's not signed. 44, Brian Abreu with a 116 F score. Astros, uh, he's like second set of man, so seventh inning guy. Uh, number 45, Joe Mantiply, potential co-closer with the Diamondbacks, 111 F score. Number 46, Robert Suarez, set of man for the Padres with a 112 F score, big contract this offseason. 47, John Schreiber, who is the seventh inning guy for the Red Sox, 108 F score. And 48, Trevor May with a 102 F score. I can't remember. Where did May go? I, I'm forgetting. Trevor May. Is, it, is he still in Minnesota? No, he moved, he's Oakland. Oakland co-closer is what he is. Potential closer. It's going to be him or Puck probably. But uh, 48 is Trevor May on here. So this tier is Lang, Finnegan, Herget, Taylor Rogers, McHugh, Naris, Brash, Araldis, Abreu, Mantiply, Suarez, Schreiber, May. Baseball Savant says Trevor May is a Met for what it's worth. No way. Oh, is he? No, he's in the no, he's not. He's in the Mets last year. He's on the athletics, dude. He's oh, the okay. 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 Yeah, he, I think he's gonna be the closer. It's gonna be him or Puck. And this is my feeling of why would Trevor May go to Oakland is that they probably told him you can get saves here, and then we'll just trade you at the deadline. Come here. Uh You'll get some saves. You'll raise your value for your contract for next season. And then we'll trade you the deadline to a contender. And then you can get a big contract next year. Um, that's how it would go down for me. If I was Trevor May and I went to the athletics, that would be the only reason why. Unless he just loves Oakland and has family there or something like that. So, well, no, I mean, if, if he's right trying now? to. Yeah, just to back your, up your point, if he's trying to maximize his value, Oakland is the place to do it. Um, I'm just so curious what's going to happen to Aurelis Chapman. I've been the whole time you're reading those off. I've been like sleuthing the internet, trying to find out where people think he's going to sign. I found an article that said the Dodgers did not offer him a contract and are not interested in signing him. But I found um, a Yankees fan page that said the, the Padres did offer him a contract. So that would be interesting, but I have, I'm very curious to see where he'll sign. Maybe he'll go back to Chicago. That would be interesting. I um, was predicting that to Gabe, that he was going to end up back there. But a lot of people are also seeing Miami. Is it, he's from Miami. Yeah. But um, there's like a thing about Miami players going back to Miami and they play like crap. So they get uh, too comfortable and party too much. Yeah. Um, yeah. They, they party too much for sure. <laughs> um, no, I'm interested in Trevor May. If he. I mean, if he's on the strong side of a closer platoon, being the right-handed pitcher, yeah, I'll take him for half a season with one of my last picks. And then Alex Lang has ridiculous stuff. I don't know if you know this, but I think he tied the major league record last year or two years ago. He struck out 10 batters in a row. His only problem is he doesn't have he doesn't have great control. Like when I say doesn't have great control, he has terrible control. So if he wins the if he wins the job out of camp for the Tigers as everyday closer, um, 
he could be pretty interesting. He's got a hundred percentile whiff whiff rate on baseball savant. So wow, he's pretty good. Yeah, he's got on my F scores, he's got a 122 stuff, an 81 control, <laughs> and then a 102 FERA. So he's he's still got a 19% K minus walk rate. Yeah, so that shows that even with bad control, if you if you're still striking out that many guys, uh, I mean, hell, the, it's not like the Tigers have that much to play for. You might as well throw them in there and see what you got, right? Yeah, I mean, we just saw Gregory Soto get 30 saves with them last year. So, I mean, you, bad teams win games too. Yeah, exactly. So, you got anything else on Lang? Because I want to talk a little bit about Matt Brash if you're done with Lang. Yeah, I'm done with Lang. Kyle Finnegan has always been one of my favorite players, and I want him to be way better than he is, but he's not. So, go ahead. All right. So, Matt Brash, everybody remembers – Everyone wanted him at the beginning of last year because Eno Saris kept talking about how he's like the number one guy for stuff plus. And then he came up and he sucked. Uh, do you know what Matt Brash did in the second half? I don't. Matt Brash had a 33.9% strikeout rate, leading to a 21.3% K minus walk because he was still walking 12, 12% of guys, which is insane. He had a 197 FIP during that period with a 235 ERA and his swing strike rate was 14%. That's what Matt Brash did in the second half. And he only had a 124 whip on top of it. Are you in on Matt Brash at all? He I didn't realize he started games last year. Were they using yeah, him at the beginning goal? of the at the beginning of the season he was a starter and everyone was on top of him. Because everyone's talking about how his slider is the best pitch in baseball, which it is. Um, but he's only a two-pitch guy, fastball slider. And he couldn't command the sl- – he, he, his slider is so good that – and it breaks so hard that sometimes it just goes way out of the zone. <laughs> like, <laughs> so, like, he can't control it in a way that it's, like, manageable really as a starter for five, six innings. Um, so they send him down to the minors – after a few starts when he was atrocious and brought him back up as a reliever and he dominated in the second half as a reliever. Um, so I think it's important to know because he, he's one of those guys that down last year and now nobody's going to think about him, but I know he's a little down the total pole in the Mariners bullpen because yeah. they still have uh, Seawald Munoz and Castillo ahead of him. But He's someone for like ratios who could pile up. He could be one of those guys like um, who pitches 60 innings and gets 100 Ks. You know what I mean? Out of the bullpen. So that's yeah. a very possible outcome, I think, for prime season of Matt Brash. You know who um, he reminds me of by, based on your description? And nobody's going to remember Jeremy Bonderman. The Tigers should have put him in the rota- or in the bullpen four years before his elbow gave out, and they never did. I remember Bonderman, but that's because I'm I watch too much baseball. <laughs> yeah, you're a freak. <laughs> all right, so there's uh, out of all the other relievers, if you want to read past the fiftieth reliever, go ahead and go on Friends of Fantasy Benefits. Once I re- release all that, I get 151 relievers deep, and I put. Also color coded, um, where their what their role should be. Uh, so check that on Friends of Fantasy Benefits. Once I get that released, I'll let you know. 
there are two guys that I want to highlight before we go here, Raymond. Um, I just want to bring to the radar, like the front of the radar here, Ron Marinaccio. Have you heard of him? Uh, no. He is a Yankee, of course, with that name, right? Right. Yeah. So Ron Marinaccio is a Yankee. And last year, he had a 342 Sierra, 205 ERA, a 17.7 K minus walk. This is his rookie year, 31.4% CSW. If you look at his minor league stats, they're just ridiculous. Um, I don't know. He could be a closer of the future for the Yankees, I think. So that's a name that I would watch. I just want to bring to the attention of the pod. Um, and then the next guy I want to talk about is Garrett Crochet. Do you remember Garrett Crochet? I do. Yeah. So Crochet was awesome when he first came up and then got hurt and had Tommy John. He should be back for a full season next year. Uh, he's been really good. I know he he's only has 60 innings or whatever in his career. His rookie year, he was just ridiculous, pitching over 100 miles an hour from the left side. Like, nobody could touch him. I uh, got touched up a little more the second season, but a lot of that, who knows how much had, that had to do with the inter- injury and him having to get Tommy John. You know what I mean? And even despite that, he still had a 282 ERA and a 16.5K minus walk rate. So I just wanted to throw back out there that Garrett Crochet is going to be back. And with the Liam Hendricks thing, um, there could be saves up for grabs in Chicago until Hendricks is back. And that could be Graveman. Um, it could be Bummer. It could be Crochet. So I just want to throw Crochet's name in the mix there. And by the way, so much for uh, Liam Hendricks being on the block, right? If the White Sox traded yeah. him now, like everyone would hate it. They'd be more hated than Trevor Bauer. So they'd be, they'd be more hated than Tony LaRusso. <laughs> That's hard to do. <laughs> All right. Uh, my uh, only, so let's my wrap only, this bad boy up, I think, unless you got something else. I just, I, he had Tommy John in April of last year. So he might not be ready, depending on his timeline and everything. He might. He might start the season on the IL, is all I wanted to say. Yeah, usually you're looking at about a year for Tommy John recovery. It can get up to like 14 months. 15 months. months in some yeah. yeah, so he it's true. He may not be back immediately, but he will be back this year, and he'll probably be throwing ridiculous stuff because most of the guys come back even hotter after Tommy John. The control is worse, uh-huh. but he could be throwing like 105 as a lefty. When he comes back, the I would stuff is better. Yeah. Yeah. Right on. So um, next week we have, or I guess later this week, we have some non position player topics that we're going to be talking about. Uh, we want to talk about league styles and then we're going to talk deep into the F scores are the plans for the next few pods here. So uh, Raymond, you got anything to leave the listeners with as we head out? No, I have to go put my son to bed. All right, me too. And my daughters, because I have too many babies. (laughs) All right, see ya.